0: In Southeast Agnet Sag and Review, for the week ending April 24th, highly pathogenic avian influenza has been in the news a lot lately as it's now affected backyard poultry or commercial poultry in 16 states. Well, USDA provided an update this week. and USDA Chief Veterinary Officer John Clifford says so far they've had good success in containing the lateral spread of the disease.
1: One of the challenging things that we have is, though, because of the Uh, contamination, uh, environmental contamination of this virus from wild waterfowl, it presents a lot of unique challenges to us with regards to this. But the U.S. has one of the best in the world surveillance systems for uh, high-path AI and for low-path AI, for that matter, and uh, as a result, we've been able to get very good cooperation from the states and the industry to be able to find uh, these locations uh, very quickly and be able to respond.
0: And as for the number of birds affected thus far?
1: As far as total number of birds thus far depopulated, it's about, and and this is an estimate, there's about 3.5 million birds that have been depopulated thus far, thus far. That would not include, obviously, the new layer facility that's been identified in Iowa.
0: He's referring to the fact that the highly pathogenic H5N2 strain of avian influenza has now impacted 5.3 million laying hands on an Iowa egg operation. That operation has been quarantined and all of those birds will be destroyed. And Dr. Clifford says they know the virus exists in the wild waterfowl population and thus reminds poultry producers that biosecurity efforts are important
1: you still have to be very diligent in your biosecurity and making sure that you have the possibility of having virus contamination within the environment, and you take all those precautions based on that. As far as the way the virus is getting into the facilities itself, uh, we're looking at a multitude of of possibilities uh, with regards to that. We know that we have had very good biosecurity in the past to prevent introductions of high-path AI into our poultry operations, but we're reviewing all of those, and as we review them, I know that the industry, if we find gaps, the industry is is taking those very, very seriously and implementing new ways to uh, address those gaps as soon as possible.
0: And in case you might wonder, Clifford said while the avian flu virus does not spread easily through the air, it can happen in
2: some situations it's not an aerosolized virus that spreads easily that way. However, in the area, uh, that I was in, in Minnesota, for example, uh, and because of the close proximity uh, some of these facilities are to lakes and large population of wild waterfowl, the winds have been pretty high in places there. The day that I was there, there was 20-mile-an-hour winds, and you could see a lot of dust blowing. So what we're talking about is the wind carrying potentially like feathers or or dust or things that could be a carrier of the virus and moving it into uh, those houses. Some of those turkey houses will have a curtain on one side of the house that they can open and close to regulate um, the temperature within the house. So we're talking about very short distances and high winds carrying dust and those types of particles that could potentially carry virus into the facility.
0: In other news, producers are being reminded that June 1st is the deadline to get your information into USDA in order to meet conservation compliance provisions. Tyron Spearman has more.
3: USDA reminds farmers that the 2014 Farm Bill requires a producer to file a Highly Erodible Land Conservation and Wetlands Conservation Certificate form. That's called AD 1026 with their local USDA Service Center by June the 1st. You must do this to become eligible or remain eligible for crop insurance premium support. Most farmers already have a certification form on file since it's required for participation in USDA programs such as the Marketing Loan Assistance Program, the Farm Storage Facility Loans, and Disaster Assistance. However, farmers such as specialty crop growers who receive federal crop insurance premium support may not have participated in this program before, and you need to file a certification form before June the 1st. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast AgNet.
0: Kathy Isom had a story this week on how pork production may surpass beef production this year.
4: In the U.S. meat industries this year, some forecasters say we could see, for the first time since 1952, that pork production has exceeded beef production. USDA Livestock Analyst Shale Shagam says beef production this year is forecast to drop once again from a year ago.
1: We have been looking at declines in cattle
0: inventories for quite some time, which has tightened up our supplies of beef.
4: Beef outputs may drop by a small amount this year, about two-tenths of one percent. On the other hand, the pork production, we're looking at about a six percent increase in pork production in 2015. Hog producers increased the number of breeding herd and sows furrowed to make up for losses last year from the PED virus. Hog prices were up, also giving more encouragement to boost output. This year, there's been less PED activity, so the average number of pigs per litter is going up, further adding to production. To put it all together, pork production could top beef production this year, but only by a paper-thin 30 million pound margin out of a 24 billion pounds of production. But will that really happen?
2: A lot of
0: it is going to depend on what happens to weights of the animals.
4: And if it does happen, Shagum says it's not likely expected to be a trend.
0: Beef is in an expansionary mode right now. So we'll expect to see beef production to continue to increase.
4: I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast AgNet.
0: And we wrap up this week's podcast with Ever Grinder talking about
1: country of origin labeling. Cool. That means country of origin labeling. Some want to see it under federal mandate, some don't. It would require any food product produced outside the U.S. to carry a label so the consumer could decide whether they want to buy it or not. Granted now, most imported food products are safe, but some are not. They may not pose a threat, but they fall below U.S. minimum standards. Just recently, nearly half a million pounds of honey from China was seized at a U.S. port of entry that had been diluted, did not meet U.S. minimum standards. Now, we've had trouble with lesser quantities of foods from Latin American countries. Cool would not necessarily halt those food import, but it would alert the U.S. buyer to the possibilities of a lower U.S. standard. Do you see anything wrong with that? I don't. That's Ag Review for today. Everett Southeast AgNet.
0: Those and more stories can be found on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast AgNet.